0: Now, it took me about 16 months to write a, an, an inventory, which is, was a long time. And, you know, things were just going to hell in a handbasket everywhere. And I knew that sooner or later, I was going to stick that gun in my mouth or I was going to take a drink. And I did not want to do either one. But I knew I was going to do one or the other.
1: Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. Howdy, howdy, howdy there, ladies and gents, boys and girls. That was the voice of Bubba that you heard at the beginning of this episode. And you're going to hear so much more from Bubba in just a moment. But first things First, this episode, this particular episode right now is brought to you by Terry and Todd and Kurt. Do you know what Terry and Todd and Kurt did? Well, let me fill you in. They went to our website, Soberspeak.com, they clicked on the little yellow donate tab and they made a contribution. Thank you so much, Terry and Todd and Kurt, for your generosity. This episode is coming right out to Ewan's. I, John M., will be the chairperson for this meeting between meetings, and I am truly honored and privileged to serve all of you listening in, so take a seat, if you will, around this virtual table, and let's get started. So I ran a a across a quote uh, during some morning meditation this week, and it was from page 89 of the big book, and I wanted to read it from for you guys. Page 89 says, carry this message to other alcoholics. You can help when no one else can. You can secure their confidence when others fail. Remember, they are very ill. Life will take on new meaning. To watch other people recover. To see them help others. To watch loneliness vanish. To see a fellowship grow around you to have a host of friends. This is an experience you must not miss. Frequent contact with newcomers and, we, and with each other is the bright spot of our lives. I'll go ahead and read just that last line again. I'd like to read the whole thing, but I'll just read the last line. Frequent contact with newcomers and with and with each other, is the bright spot of our lives, page 89 from the big book. And uh, for whatever reason, that really hit me this week. And just so you know, I I got that meditation from, uh, it's a daily meditation email I receive. I know some of you are on it. Just in case you're looking for a daily uh, meditation email, uh, I got it from something called Transitions Daily. And if you want to subscribe, it's, it's a free email service. Uh, it's uh, Go to emails.com and you can sign up there. And while I'm at it, and that transitions daily site is managed by a friend of mine named Buddy C. And Buddy also has a sober meditations app. I've been using it every night now for at least a month, for at least a month. Uh, Buddy's voice is usually the last thing I hear before I go to sleep. And in this, uh, this uh, app, is another free resource. It's called the Sober Meditations app, um, and this is strictly service work for Buddy. Uh, if you sign up for it, there's no gotcha. Like you listen to three, and now you pay us eight dollars a month or whatever. There's no gotcha. Uh, I've been, I had been using, uh, and in a uh, excuse me. Uh, um, an app called Insight Timer, and I'm sure several of you, I'm sure a lot of you know about that app out there. I've been using it for several years, but but the, the challenge with Insight Timer, for me at least, I always had a hard time finding 12-step-based meditations. Buddy's a member of AA, uh, and he addresses every one of the steps in his meditations and several other topics like letting go, God's will, cravings, and, and all kinds of subjects. Okay. So if you want to download the app, go to the Play Store in Google or the App Store on your ID. What is it called? Isn't that called the App Store when you're on a an iDevice? Uh, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, for for anything that is uh, Mac related or whatever you call that, right? Anyway, you type in the word sober meditations and you should see an icon with a like a beach and sand and sky image uh, and if you have any issues with that feel free to reach out to me i'm more than happy to help you because i believe this app can really help people once again i'm at john j-o-h-n at soberspeak.com if you uh, are having any sort of issues with that now on to mr bubba recorded live at the Tri-Cities Speaker Meeting here in North Texas. Um, did anyone just notice how I transitioned from talking about Buddy to Bubba? <laughs> you could tell we're in the South, and I love it. Anywho, let's talk about Bubba. Uh, Bubba has been sober since March 3rd of 1988. He grew up in the oil fields of West Texas I, 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 don't, I don't think that's actually the fields uh, but you know they there's a lot of fields around them, so they call it the oil fields of. West Texas. You get the idea. Anyway, he has a Baptist background and uh, he talks about that and and the necessity of maintaining a spiritual condition and being an elder statesman as opposed to a bleeding deacon. He talks about his family in recovery and much more. And we will have plenty of listener feedback at the end of Bubba's Talk, which were recorded live via Zoom, just so you know. Okay. Anyway, enjoy, and I'll see you on the back end with listener feedback. I'm not going to tell you where my mind went with that. Anyway, enjoy. My name's Bubba Ral. I'm an alcoholic. I'm sober
0: uh, in Alcoholics Anonymous by God's grace, and uh, since uh, third day of March, 1988, and I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for that. I'm glad to be here, Steve. Thank you for asking me to come uh this is my first time on zoom to talk i got the uh, a couple friends here joanne and harry that's uh my wife's sponsor so i'm gonna have to do my best to tell the truth and uh judy and bud these are guys that i sat in meetings with and i sobered up with and i'm so glad that they're here all you guys thank you so much for being here uh this uh zoom thing uh it's not a really close, uh, second to a real meeting, but it's a whole lot better than nothing, isn't it? Uh, I, and I love to sit in a meeting and listen to other people talk. This is my least favorite thing to do in Alcoholics Anonymous. And, uh, but I'm going to do it cause it's my turn. Uh, I, uh, I was born uh, uh, out in West Texas in a little town called Crane, a little oil field town. Uh, my dad worked uh, out in the oil field back in uh, 1952, and uh, we got moved up to Levland in 55, uh, great little town west of Lubbock. Uh, you know, I was always told that... Uh, it's a great little town to sit up on your front porch and watch your dog run away from home. It's, it's flat out that way. And, uh, and, uh, you know, salt of the earth people out there, good, hardworking people, good, uh, principled people. And some of those people tried to raise me and, uh, and they gave me, you know, I found out much later that they gave me some good morals and values. I, uh, just didn't want much to do with them when I was younger uh my mom and Dad did the very best they could with what they had to work with uh I was a unruly uh, defiant child and and uh you know I guess we all paid a price for that uh, later on uh, i uh I really uh didn't play very well with other kids uh, uh didn't pay attention very good in class. And, uh, so I wasn't able to do, uh, what they expected me to do, which was my schoolwork. Uh, and, you know, it was really hard on my, my mother because my mother was a teacher and, uh, you know, about seven minutes after I did something in someone's class, she knew about it, you know? And a lot of times when I got a little older, she, she had to sit in the teacher's lounge and and listen to what I had done or said to one of the other teachers. And, uh, You know, uh, it was an embarrassment and, uh, you know, a source of shame for her occasionally because, I, you know, like I said, I I had no control as a kid. I was just uh, out of control, absolutely, and uh, no boundaries, no respect, uh, and and I grew up into an adult that way. Uh, I started drinking, uh, I guess, I started sipping beers when I was about eight years old. My dad drank. Uh, he was a heavy drinker. Uh, my grandmother drank, my aunts and uncles drank, so it wasn't a big deal at our house. Uh, you know, I'd go get my dad a beer and pop the top on it and, and get the suds off of it, and, and I thought it was god-awful until I got enough of it to understand why they were drinking it. And uh, from that day forward, it, had, it has changed my life. Uh, I thought it was the greatest thing in the world. And then I started spending a lot of time and giving a lot of attention to drinking. Uh, alcohol uh, uh, lowered my inhibitions, and there wasn't very many things I wouldn't do. I mean, there wasn't very many things I wouldn't do anyway. But, you know, you give me a drink, and I'm, I'm off, uh, off the ceiling, off the walls. And, uh, and I really loved it. Uh, and, I, you know, I found some friends like me that loved it, too. Uh, I went to school with a couple of guys that you know. I found out later their their uh, father was an Alcoholics Anonymous too, and I didn't know it at the time. But uh, uh, really good friends that I grew up with, and uh, and we spent a lot of time uh, saving our lunch money. You know, saving our thirty five cents. That's how old I am for lunch, and uh, and buying booze. Uh, you know, on Thursday night we uh, we played football. Thursday night was our game night. And like good athletes, we'd go to the bootlegger and pick up some booze after the game and ride around and act like big boys, you know. And, uh, you know, I was trying to act like a big boy uh, for a long, long time. And then when I got to be a big boy, I'm trying to act like a young kid. So it's been a long road. My my old sponsor used to tell me that about all I can tell you about my childhood is it was really, really long. Uh. Uh. I met my wife and you know, I got to tell you this. I met my wife in the sixth grade on the band bus in this whole town that we were from, uh, the band bus picked up all the students at all the elementary schools and took them to the high school so we could have a band session, uh, for six period. And, uh, she had just moved to town and, uh, you know, I heard how pretty she was and, and she was, she was gorgeous. And so I got up on the bus and I got in the seat behind her and, uh, and just, you know, was just amazed. She was just really a beautiful girl. And, and, you know, I just wanted to welcome her to town. So I just reached up and gave her a little kiss on the cheek and, and scared the hell out of her. You know, <laughs> And, uh, you know, the crazy thing about it is we've, uh, we've kind of been pretty much, uh, hooked up since then uh you know she spent a couple of years trying to get away because she thought i was stalking her and uh maybe i was i was young and ambitious and she was really gorgeous and uh she's right in the bedroom right now watching the national park series and uh and thank god that uh on the day that uh, i got to alcoholics anonymous she gave me one more chance you know uh uh and I, I'm so so grateful for that. I uh I can uh I tell you a story about uh you know a, a guy that uh, uh everywhere I went I was drinking as much as I could, spending all of my earned money on booze. And uh and then later on when my wife worked at the bank, I was spending her check on booze. So uh, on Monday morning, the bank would get the checks that I'd written from the bar. And sometimes she never even got a check because I wrote up her whole check in, in, uh, at the bar. And, uh, and bless her heart, she hung in there for a long, long time. And, uh, you know, about uh, 1980, we were having some problems, uh, marital problems, as, you know, alcoholic families do. And uh, you know we're having financial problems, legal problems, and relationship problems, and children problems. Our children were getting older. Uh, we'd been married about I don't know ten or twelve years, and uh, and it was coming off the rails. Uh, I had we had uh, we didn't know whether to get a divorce or go to Jamaica, and we had tickets to Jamaica, so we went to Jamaica and uh, found some folks just like just like me and hung out down there for about a week and, uh, got back to, to, uh, to work and, uh, and decided I needed to move to Austin from Leveland, this little town. So, uh, I packed up everything. Uh, after I got a job, I had gone to school with a guy that's father owned a store down there and, uh, he put me to work and, uh, and I moved to Austin and, uh, You know, I told you I had a problem uh, paying attention. And when I got to Austin, it just got worse and worse and worse. And, you know, the thing I I really loved about Austin was it was open all night. For days, it was open. Uh, I got in a tremendous amount of trouble down there. I couldn't pay my bills because I'm still drinking like I was earlier. And only it was getting worse, Uh, I'm hanging out with some guys that are have an import export business. And, and it's a problem. It's a, it's a large problem. Uh, it got crazy around our house and we, we, we knew that it was time to take our children to the airport, put them on a plane, get them out of there. And we sent them back to West Texas to Teresa's mom and dad. And, and we loaded the truck late one evening and we drove them out of there because it was time to go, uh, about, uh, Two months before that, I, I got a letter from the phone company saying that uh, the Lubbock County District Attorney had subpoenaed my phone record for the past year. And, and I knew what that was about. Uh, there was a couple of guys that we were acquainted with that uh, were stealing trailers and uh, down in Austin and taking them to West Texas and selling them or vice versa. They were stealing them in West Texas and taking them to Austin. And uh, this one day, they, you know, they'd been up for a while. And this one day, this highway patrolman stopped them to see if their trailer was stolen. And he called them in. He went back up and sat in his car, got this guy's driver's license and put it in the clipboard and called in. And uh, about the same time, the guy that was driving the car got his pistol out from under the seat and walked up there and shot the highway patrolman in the head and killed him. And that's what started all of this in motion. Uh, actually, what started it in motion was my drinking years before. But and now it was uh, it was dire. It was uh, imperative that uh, I get out. And uh, so I went back up to uh, to West Texas, and uh, one of the guys that I'd gone to school with, his father owned a store, and he put me to work. You know, these, uh, these guys didn't have any idea what they were getting into with me. Uh, and they took really good care of me, and, and they paid me way more money than I was worth. And I just, I couldn't produce any work, and they just kept me on. And uh, great people, uh, you know, some of the, the, these guys treated me like their family. And, uh, and I'll always remember that. I'm, and I'm still close to their son. He's my age today. And all of his family uh, got back out there. Uh, went to work. Just got sicker and sicker and sicker. And uh, this went on for seven more years. And uh, and and one day my wife got a call from uh, uh, the school uh, principal, and uh, the counselor had uh, called him and said, "Hey, uh, there's some problem." Uh, there's a problem over at their house and I don't know what it is, but uh, their children are uh, suicidal and, and you need to call her and tell her to get them out of the house today. And so he did, you know, this was a guy that I had in the fifth grade that was our, uh, our teacher in the fifth grade. And he was a principal at, at my children's school now. And he knew me all of my life and he called Teresa and told her, you know, listen, listen, you got to get your children out of the house. Uh, they're they're suicidal. And my wife, we hear a lot around Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, had a moment of clarity. And she went home and she packed their clothes, and she went by school and picked them up. And uh, and I don't know how it happened, but for some reason I knew I was in trouble. So I went by the school to try to see if I could talk to her. She wouldn't even roll the window down. She uh, picked up the kids and left town, and ended up about seventy miles from Loveland at her folks' house, and uh, and that's what started us on our journey. and uh, And I'm always uh, always want to be grateful for her having the courage to pick those kids up and leave me that day. She left me that day, and uh, and. You know, what I know now is it saved my life. Getting getting away from me saved their life, and it also saved my life later on. Uh, you know, I had to sit in that house uh, all that day and, and I had to do what I know now was take some inventory. And I wasn't coming out good on that. I, I couldn't make it look any different than it really was. I had abused them for years and years and they just couldn't take it anymore. Thank God they couldn't take it anymore. And someone called uh, the principal. And uh, and so Teresa's in Seminole and, uh, and I'm in the house all day. Uh, and, I, you know, the things that I'd been doing, I'd been thinking about sticking a pistol in my mouth for years because I couldn't make sense of, of why i was doing what i was doing they certainly didn't deserve what i was doing to them and uh and i was going to try to put that gun in my mouth and and stop all the insanity and uh i finally got up enough nerve to go talk to a friend of mine and uh, and i told him that, you know i went out to the liquor store that was owned by the county judge and i knew him real well and I wrote a hot check out there and I bought some liquor and a six pack of Bud Tallboys going to try to drink enough, quick enough to put that gun in my mouth and stop it. And, uh, and you know, uh, yet I had a different speaker tonight. Uh, thank God I, uh, I was too weak and cowardly to do that. And I ended up at my folks' house and I had to go in the house and I had to tell them the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my whole life had to go in the house and tell them something was wrong with me. And it was not a surprise to them. They knew something was wrong with me. I told them, Teresa and the kids left me. They said, well, we certainly understand that. Uh, You've been abusing them for years and years. You're hard on people that are closest to you. And so, uh, my uh, my sister is a uh, uh, trauma supervisor, or she was. She'd retired the last couple of years over at a Cook Children's Hospital. And and uh, they called her because they didn't know what to do with me. And, that, you know, frankly, didn't want anything to do with me. And I don't blame them, not at all. And uh, they called my sister and my sister said, uh, listen, keep him there. And let me uh, see if I can call some people at St. Mary's Hospital in Lubbock. And that's what she did. She called some people she knew some nurses there and uh they got me uh an assessment over there and he told them, asked my folks if they'd drive me to Lubbock and you know it's 11 o'clock at night and they took me to Lubbock took me down in the basement she told me there'd be a guy there waiting to talk to me I went into the hospital went downstairs and, and I talked to this guy and, and he sat me down and he said uh do you drink? And I'm drunk as a skunk when I'm talking to him. I said, yeah, I drink every chance I get. He said, do you take drugs? I said, every chance I get. And, uh, he said, well, you might be an alcoholic and I, and I, I didn't know what that meant. Not at all. Um, and he said, uh, and I said, well, what can I do about it? He says, uh, you can, uh, it might be that you can live a, Uh, reasonably happy and a sober life in Alcoholics Anonymous. That's a sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I said, what do I need to do? And he said, well, it might require that you come into the hospital for 28-day drug and alcohol treatment. And uh, I immediately told him how busy and how important I was. And he pointed to the door and he said, there's the door. Why don't you come back when your life's a little better? And, uh, you know, I found out later this guy's sober for eight years. He'd been sober for eight years. That's the first time someone in Alcoholics Anonymous told me the truth. He said, hit the door and come back when it gets a little better. And uh, he gave me a shot. uh, Benadryl sent me home and knocked me out. They put me to bed. My mom and dad put me to bed trying to figure out what they were going to do with me. I got up the next morning. I started drinking. You know, my dad had retired early and. He was having a couple of brews about 10 30. And so I joined him. I drank three or four beers and and I'm sick. I'm sick as I've ever been in my life. And I know it now. Uh, I'm heart sick. You know, uh, the woman that I loved more than anything in the whole world packed her kids up and left me. And, and I knew that I was out of chances. And, uh, I asked my dad if he'd take me back over to the hospital, and he said, son, you need to go somewhere because you're not staying here. And he took me over to the hospital, and, and he took all my paperwork into the hospital when I had insurance, and he got me checked into drug and alcohol treatment, came out to the emergency room. I sat in the car and drank while he did that. Came out the emergency room door, and he had all those papers in his hands, and he waved them at me, and he said, come on in. And I finished my beer, and I liked that truck, and I walked in there, and I hadn't had a drink since that day because of God's grace and Alcoholics Anonymous. Those people in that treatment center uh, introduced me to Alcoholics Anonymous. And I've been told many, many times, and I believe it, that the reason they use Alcoholics Anonymous in treatment centers is because it works. It works. And uh, I went in there, and uh, and I paid attention and and it was a life and and death errand for me uh i took notes uh, i was in there for 35 days i got out i went back to level and and it wouldn't be too long before i ran into bud and judy sitting in the south plains group of alcoholics anonymous and uh and i and i did my best to uh, do what my sponsor robert asked me to do and uh And it was painfully slow. I know for him more than it was for me because I'm sitting around all the time talking about how I want my wife and kids back. I need to get my wife and kids back. And and Robert and Ruby, his wife, his little Al-Anon black belt wife, used to tell me, you're not sober long enough. You're not honest enough. And it's too early for them to come home. And that's the last thing I wanted to hear. You know, but I'm just you know I'm still pulling the scam, trying to get what I want, and uh, you know after about five months I, I went to aftercare every Thursday for five years, and after about five months, uh, Teresa decided that she'd come back home. My son had been living with me, and uh, he was uh, six or seven, I, I guess, and he had come back to Levelland and stayed with me because he was having a hard time up there and, and, uh, and I was just tickled to have him. And anyway, uh, Teresa finally, uh, she'd come and visit on the weekends and she finally moved back to, to level in and moved back in. And, and you know, uh, I, I finally called uh, Robert and Ruby and, uh, you know, after they moved in and, and, I, and uh, and, I let them know that, Ruby, it's too early. They came back too early. <laughs> uh, she thought that was funny and and now I had to deal with it, you know, and, and that's how I started uh trying to take the steps in Alcoholics Anonymous. I, I you know, it took me a long time to understand that that I was powerless over alcohol. I, I didn't really understand what that meant. I knew that every time I drank, I couldn't stop or most times I couldn't stop unless somebody made me. And uh, I understood that. But, you know, it'd be, it would be a few years before I understood the depth of my powerlessness. And, uh, and that was because somebody in Alcoholics Anonymous shared their experience with me, and it was my experience also. I was uh, in uh, San Antonio, and uh, Howard P. was down there. And he came into a, a restaurant where we were waiting to eat lunch with him. And and, uh, and this is a long time after I got sober. But, I mean, this had left an, an imprint on me, and it still has an imprint on me, of Howard sharing uh, his morning meditation with me. He was talking about the doctor's opinion, how it talks about in there uh, – Uh, that uh, people drink essentially because they like the effects produced by alcohol. And while they admit it's injurious, uh, they cannot after a time differentiate the truth from the false. And he said, "What's that mean to you, Bubba? And I told him, I said, well, I, it, I don't think I know what's real Howard. And he said, how about this? You start drinking for effect, right? I said, yes, sir. And I keep drinking for effect," he said. "But after a while, you still think you're drinking for effect, and you're drinking to overcome a powerful craving you'll never ever be able to overcome." And he hit me like a ton of bricks. I never registered that before, and I'm I'll always be grateful for that. Uh, I like uh, what Steve uh, says about. Uh, the doctor's opinion about the the allergy, its theory about the allergy, interests us. Uh, it explains many things for which I cannot otherwise account. Man, does it. How I could keep doing those things over and over and over for days and days. You know, against my will. But I kept doing them anyway. Uh, you know, uh, uh, coming to believe that uh, that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity, I didn't have a problem with the sanity part, but I had a little problem with uh, a power greater than myself. I'd always been spiritually curious, but I thought it was like some kind of mystical thing. Uh, and this, uh, the introduction to uh, the spirituality of the program of Alcoholics Anonymous to me, w- seemed. Uh, inadequate absolutely i was just reading that in the book earlier that it, it did seem inadequate but i i didn't get the grasp of it and uh i, I like in we agnostics where he tells us three or four times the way bill writes uh he repeats himself so everyone will have a chance to understand what he's saying and he says do not be concerted choose your own conception of God that that was foreign to me because uh you know that little Baptist church I was raised in we didn't have our conception we had their conception and and we would accept it that's what I heard I don't know if that's what they said but that's certainly what I heard and and I didn't get it you know uh in. in It was important for me to turn my will and my life over to the care of God as I understand him. And God, as I understood him, was the good people in Alcoholics Anonymous. Good orderly direction, group of drunks. I could understand that. And I could see these people, I could see their lives changing. And, uh, you know, it didn't seem like my life was changing that much, but I could see these guys changing. There was a couple of people in Alcoholics Anonymous when I got there, and I used to work, a friend of mine owned a bar, how about that, and I worked for him so I could drink cheap. It wasn't free, but it was cheap. And uh, there was two customers that we had in there, Rayoma and Danny. And I knew these guys, and in my estimation, they were terrible, terrible drunks and I'd serve them whiskey with their head on the bar asking for one more drink. And I looked down on them. And when I got to Alcoholics Anonymous in that little bitty town in Leblan, Texas, there they were, both of them, sober and Alcoholics Anonymous, sticking their hand out to me. And uh, they've been helping me ever since. And uh, and and there's the proof that I need. I need to see. Uh, I need to see. I need visual proof. You know, and there were Danny and uh, and Ray Alma, and they were both sober. And, and I'm so grateful for that. And uh, a lot of those old timers in that meeting, you know, I'd grown up with their children. Robert, uh, you know, I knew both of his children. And, uh, and all I ever heard about Robert was that he was out running again. And Robert agreed to sponsor me. And uh, I went to Robert one time. He had uh, we'd done a little business transaction, and I hadn't paid him on time you know, the way I do. And uh, he wanted to know when I was going to pay him. I said, well, you know, Robert, I had the money a couple of times, but, and I don't know why I didn't pay. And he jumped up out of his chair and slammed his hand on his desk and looked me in the eye because I told him I didn't want to lose all those things that he said he lost. And he, he slammed his hand on that desk and he looked at me and he said, I didn't want to lose them either, but it was necessary. And, you know, it went right over my head. Necessary. Wow. And, you know, I would come to believe that those things that I lost shortly after that little talk, it was necessary for me to lose them. I had, a, had not made a payment on my house in about seven or eight months. And the guy that I was working for, was on the board of directors of that bank when they took our house. And he did not want to do that, but he knew it was necessary. Uh, I had a, a an old crew cab pickup. It was about a, I don't know, $4,000 truck and I had about $18,000 in it. And I would not let go of it. And so the bank traded me some equipment For my truck they said listen we're gonna we can get both of them but if you'll let us have the truck we'll sell it and you can keep your equipment that you know they made great deals with me and uh and so yeah i lost some of those things and i learned to do without them somebody loaned me a car and then somebody sold me a car on credit and you know they didn't know me very well but they did and uh and i'll always be grateful for that i there's a little conference out, and there was out in Land and it was on Mother's Day every year. And uh, the guys that I served up with uh, told me to get get involved and stay involved, and uh, and that's what I did in that little conference. And uh, those guys, uh, they showed me how to. To do things in Alcoholics Anonymous, they made me wipe tables off, uh, empty ashtrays, make food. Uh, they 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 showed me about the fellowship and they shared their experience in Alcoholics Anonymous with me about the steps. Now it took me about sixteen months to write a an, an inventory, which is was a long time. Uh, and you know things were just going to hell in a handbasket everywhere, and. Uh, and I knew that sooner or later I was going to stick that gun in my mouth or I was going to take a drink. And I did not want to do either one. But I knew I was going to do one or the other. And so uh, I'd been putting this off for 16 months, and, and I took two days, two days, to write this inventory. And I, and I called my sponsor. and He said, well, you need to call Robert P. Little Phil. Make an appointment with him and take your fifth step. And so that's what I did. I went over one Sunday afternoon and sat down with Robert and, and told him all those things that I swore to God I'd never tell anybody. You know, Robert was an old retired sailor, and he had a big old split scar down his nose where somebody hit him with a shovel trying to kill him one time. And I trusted that old man for some reason. Because, uh, you know, when, when, when you get willing, God puts somebody in your life. And i uh, always be grateful for Robert. He was a, a great old understanding guy. They also uh, uh, instilled in me that, listen, if you ever get any sobriety, it will be contingent on you working with other people, helping people, helping drunks. And so, uh, you know, when Robert would get someone that he couldn't work with anymore, he just sicked the death of them. I didn't understand what that meant at the time, but. He told me, uh, he said, here's his phone number, call him. Call him and go get him and take him to a meeting. I did that many, many, many times. I took people to treatment. I, you know, I was like a mad dog on a newcomer. Uh, it was crazy. But I did it because I wanted to stay sober. Uh, the I did something that uh, it talks about in our book about getting on my feet financially before spiritually and uh i got in a in a trade magazine and i found a traveling job something every drunk needs every new drunk and uh i took a job in atlanta and, and hit the road and uh just pretty much stopped working the steps just trying to increase my bank account trying you know because i'm, I'm guilty for all the things i never gave my family and now i want to give them. But I'm not taking any direction, and and I'm out on the road. And I did that for five years. (coughs) Excuse me. And thank God that uh, those old-timers told me to get some phone numbers, get hooked up in here, find out all you can about Alcoholics Anonymous, and call these guys when you get up in their part of the country. And that's exactly what I did. We worked in 30 different states. And that's exactly what I did. I, I went to meetings on the road in 28 of those 30 states. And I met some great people, and they helped me immensely. And uh, they shared their experience with me. And uh, after five years, I got off the road. I moved to Dallas. That's how I got to Dallas. Uh, uh, our kids were uh, old enough to start doing the things that we'd been doing. And, uh, you know, I uh, I got to see my children. God bless them, uh, play me and their mother just like I played my mother and father. And, uh, and one quick story, uh, I was in uh, Lake Murray uh, four or five years ago, and I heard old Iron Mike talking about all the trouble he caused between his mother and his father. And it hit me that I, I needed to go talk to my mother about the very same thing. These things come to me uh, at at different times and they're just clear as a bell. And so I went and talked to my mother about the problems I caused her and my dad. Uh, You know, the big deal at our house when I was growing up was getting a haircut. I'm not getting a haircut. Don't like authority. Uh, Took a trip to California one time because I didn't want to follow the rules anymore. I was 14 years old, ended up in LA with a couple of friends and, Anyway, I I knew I had to go back and talk to my mother. And I I mentioned that to her, that this guy had talked about the trouble between his mother and his father. And she looked at me and smiled and said, I know exactly what you're talking about, son. (laughs) And so I got to make amends for that. And, uh, you know, my my pop died in 2006. And uh, I was telling my sponsor the other day, I wish I I wish I'd have been better prepared. I should have been better prepared to uh, be a friend to my father than trying to be a son, because you know he didn't he didn't care about me being a, a good son or any of that. He just wanted me to be happy, and uh, and he knew I wasn't happy. He knew I was having a lot of problems, but uh, he uh, he uh, had cirrhosis of the liver and uh, a couple of other things. And, uh, you know, I got to go over and spend the last couple of days of his life with him. And I was in the room with him when he took his last breath. And, uh, you know, there was something uh, really, uh, you know, it scared me to death to be in the room with him when he was dying. But uh, I sat in his wheelchair and I woke him up about every 45 minutes because uh, there was so much acid in his system. He'd just lock him up and he'd have to have a drink of water Set up just for a minute and then he'd go back to sleep. And, and I'm so grateful I got to spend the time with him right before he passed. Uh, I wouldn't have missed that for anything. And uh, I'm grateful for that. The sixth and seventh step, Jim Williams always said uh, it was only about that big in the book and it couldn't have been that important. So I skipped it. And that's kind of what I did. First time around, I, I skipped it. And, uh, you know, I still got all the character defects I had when I came in here. They're just not as glaring. And by God's grace, I hadn't had a drink. And I'm so grateful for that. Uh, it took me a, a good long time to make a proper eight step list and uh, to make some amends. After I got back off the road to try to clean all of my wreckage of my past up and, uh, And to promptly admit when I'm wrong, one of my buddies tells me uh, on a regular occasion that promptly, we only get one shot at promptly. And uh, and I need to remember that. And When I'm wrong, I need to promptly admit it. It doesn't say if I'm wrong. It says when. And uh, I do my best to... Uh, Say my prayers every morning. I uh, ask God to guide and direct my, my life for the next 24 hours. And say those prayers. And ask Him to discipline me in this simple way. And I try to give Him all the praise. And I turn my will and my life over to the care of God as I understand him or don't understand him. And some days I just don't want to do that. And and I have a difficult day until I go back and clean that up and uh, try to do my best to surrender. Relieve me of the bondage of self. You know, uh, self is my problem. It's still my problem. And I ask him to... uh, to have all of me, good and bad, and to take away the things that stand in the way of my usefulness to him and my fellows, to grant me strength as I go out to do his bidding. Uh, I do my very best to stay in in touch with a lot of drunks. People call me, uh, sometimes people I hadn't heard from in in quite a long time, and uh, it's, It's so wonderful to get a call from somebody you hadn't heard from in a good while, and uh, I I try to do my best to call people and uh, and let them know I'm thinking of them, and if there's anything I can do for them, especially in these times. Uh, I want to I want to talk about one more thing, and then I'm not going to talk about it anymore, and uh, that was. uh, A couple of years ago, I I, uh, uh, was not continuing to take personal inventory, and uh, and I got into a trap that I've heard a few people talk about, and and it's a trap I got into and didn't even know I was in it, Uh, and it was my ego and, and myself. And, uh, you know, at our group, uh, uh, a lot of the old timers had died or gone to other places or couldn't go to meetings anymore. And, and I got to thinking that I knew something dangerous for a drunk like me. And, uh, and I took my group conscience hostage. That's exactly what happened. I stepped on the toes of my fellows and they retaliated and uh and it took me a while to stop doing that i admitted it to my sponsor i admitted my wrongs to the group i made amends the best way i could and stopped doing that Uh, that's an illness i don't ever want to get again and all i have to do is continue to practice these principles in all my affairs and uh and let somebody else do that because I, I I don't have anything that they don't have. Absolutely. And I don't need to be acting like I do. Uh, I, I want to uh, thank you very much for, uh, for asking me to come talk. Uh, I hope uh, that if you're new in Alcoholics Anonymous, you can take something that I said and use it. Uh, Alcoholics Anonymous is the best thing that's ever happened to me, and it's because they introduced me to a power greater than myself and a way of living that uh, that I don't have to drink anymore. And, uh, and I'll always be grateful for that. Uh, my family is back together. My daughter came in uh, last night late, and, uh, you know, it took me 25 years 25 years to have a relationship with my daughter because you know like it says in the book I've been especially stupid and stubborn about some things but uh she's she's back in my life and and I'm so grateful for that and she's on fire for Alcoholics Anonymous our son and daughter-in-law are sober and Alcoholics Anonymous and 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 I'm so grateful for that and and they're making their their way through Alcoholics Anonymous like like we have. And, and I'm so grateful for that. And Steve, thanks again, brother, for asking me to talk. Bud and Judy, thank you very much. Thank you all for being here. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Bubba. That was most enjoyable. If you're listening to this and we have any feedback for Mr. Bubba and you would like me to pass that on to him, I am at JohnJohn at SoberSpeak.com. And for that matter, if you have any feedback for any of the other speakers that we bring on to the podcast, feel free to reach out to me and I will get that message passed on along to them. If that particular episode or any of the episodes had some particular significant meaning to you will you please pause your device and share that episode uh, or the entire podcast with another individual either a friend or a family member it may be just what they need today now on to a little bit of listener day la feed back chris c writes in and the title of or the subject line was bill c bill c is one of our uh, other guests that we've had on the podcast many times and he says one of the q a questions during bill c's talk really struck me and what chris is referring to here is that we did a a Q&A session with Bill C. live, and you, the so-to-speak listeners, um, submitted your questions to Bill C., and that's what he's talking about. One of those questions really struck him. He said, one of your listeners asked, what's the difference between knowing and, quote, conceding to your innermost self, unquote, that you are an alcoholic? And Bill C. addressed that in his... uh uh, during during that live session, he says, I am 60 days sober at this time. After 10 years sober, I relapse for a year and have had a few relapses after going to rehab last summer. What has struck me this time is the realization that if I drink or use this time, it won't, in big capital letters, be different than it has been. The delusion that it will, must be smashed, as our literature tells us. I struggled with this over the last nine months. I have tried on three separate occasions to, quote, party this weekend, unquote, man, I get that, Chris, and go reestablish on Monday. Not only, and I know this, oh, do I know this so well, Chris, not only does that never happen, but the emotional and physical collapse that precedes reestablishing is simply no longer worth it. This is my concession of powerlessness, and while this is an important concession, concession, this knowledge is insufficient to maintain long-term sobriety. It must be followed by the strenuous action of the steps, if I am to live. Chris C. Very well put, Mr. Chris C. That is, uh, uh, I thought, think you did a very great, a, a fantastic job. Of summing up step one and the concession and my innermost self there, Uh, well done. David D writes in and he says, "John, David D here, really big fan of the pod. It is my, it is really my meeting." in between meetings. It makes my daily drive that much more enjoyable. Well, thank you, David. Thanks for all you do. I would love to be added to the super secret Facebook group. My email is such and such. Thank you so much. And you know, I say this every once in a while, but I just want to go ahead and uh, uh, give credit where credit is due. Uh, Mr. Dave, who is a listener of the program, came up with this uh, this super secret Facebook group thing, and I, I really love that he did that. And Dave, if you're listening, thank you again. Uh, but nonetheless, we got David D. out the invite and uh, got him in that super secret Facebook group. Nuno writes in, and Nuno says, Hi, I am Nuno in from gridley california and i'm going through my darkest moment and i'm three days sober and clean since i found your podcast it helps me get through my days and i appreciate what you're doing and i would love to be added to your secret facebook page well as you know we got you that invite out uh And God bless you and uh, all of us, well, all of us who are alcoholics and in recovery right now uh, and who have over three days sobriety, remember what it's like to be three days sober and going through the darkest moments of your life. I get it. My prayers are with you. Um, Thank you for having the vulnerability to write in, and uh, I'm so glad that you're that you are allowing me to be part of your journey. Mark, 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 Mark. Oh, I'm sorry, where did that come from? Anyway, Mark posted on Podbean regarding Ryan L. and this is episode number 77. It's called NFL Opioids and Turning a New Leaf and Mark posted, he said, Thank you. He's talking to Ryan for your unselfish use of your time. Lighthouse comparison or likening was very insightful. Uh, uh, Ryan, during that episode, compared he made a lighthouse comparison and he says, God bless you, John and Ryan. I subscribe to your podcast and I visit your website. Very expiring experience for me i see good things ahead of me mark well thank you mark um and i see thing good things ahead for you as well if you continue to do the work uh and by the way he said very expiring experience i'm wondering if that's a typo or that is just a way to uh, to describe an, an experience so i have to think about that a little bit karma writes in from New Zealand. It's another Kiwi. She says, Hi John. Um could you could you serious? She says, thanks for replying. Could you seriously not understand my drunken bumble of words? Are you not a mind reader? So <laughs> I have to tell you she submitted a a, a question kind of sorta through the website and had her email on there and I just had to I I sent back a message saying I'm sorry I don't understand your your request Uh, you know I wasn't really a drunken writer when I was uh, uh, out there but I was definitely a drunk dialer like in the middle of the night oh, there's no telling who may get phone calls. And sometimes I remember them, sometimes I didn't, but I would love to get on that phone. And the and the phone calls were either something like, I love you so much, you're the best, or I hate you. So, you know, it's kind of a combination of both. But anyway, so apparently Karma got on our website uh, over there in New Zealand uh, in the middle of the night and, and submitted a question, actually a couple of times questions, which made no sense. So I had to reach back reach back out to her and said, okay, Karma, uh, what are you asking me exactly? Not sure I understand it. So, so that's where she said, could you seriously not understand my drunken bumble of words? Are you not a mind reader? <laughs> Smiley face. Anyway, she says, I sincerely thank you for your podcast. I've listened to about 14 of them, and they are a great comfort to me. I live in a little, th- town in New Zealand. I'm not going to say the name of the town. I'm 39 years old, a mother of two and married. I have been recently redefining my definition of alcoholism. I am an alcoholic. I have never said no. I have never said that to anyone ever. Well, to me, that may be a, a journey toward the first step there, Miss Karma, but nonetheless, she says, I've never said that to anyone ever. Well, now you have, and you have said that to many people. She says, my husband works long hours, day shifts, and night shifts, so I am able to hide my drinking from him quite well. I only drink a few days a week, but I have been behaving alcoholically for a few years now, i.e. I'll buy two bottles of wine, but he'll only know about one so that it appears that I'm drinking less. I generally wait until the kids, five and eight years old, are in bed before I get drunk alone. Things could be a lot worse for me in my situation, and I feel like I am on a slippery slope. I would agree, Karma. She says, uh, "The days that I'm not drinking, I would like to, and I think about it every day. I am going to get caught soon." And then she says, "Cue the music for impending dooms." Smiley face. My mother is a recording is a recovering alcoholic. We've not had a great relationship, and she is volatile. I don't feel like I can tell her as I don't want to light the fuse. My grandfather was also an alcoholic, so he, so it is in the genes. My dad is, quote, normal, unquote, and very supportive. But I would break his heart, but it would break his heart if he knew. I really appreciated Dr. Eric's interview. And she's talking about an interview that I did with uh, the episode was called... Uh, um, Doctor, alcoholic, candy addict. Right? So it's it's one out of probably around episode twenty or so. It's you know back in the beginning. She said I appreciated Doctor Eric's interview and the information he passed on about dopamine. And I was wondering if you could please point me in the direction of some scientific literature that delves into the genetics and effects on the brain and body, etc. So, so, I just, you know, I want to stop there. I did get her an article that Dr. Eric uh, sent over to me. Um, and I know you're on the beginning of this Jeremy Car- journey, karma. But Dr. Eric and I both agreed. Uh, you could look up all the information that you want. And, uh, uh, and I, I'm not knocking that. Uh, but I will tell you that in the book, it says self knowledge avails us nothing. Um, and you know. Mm. So anyway, I sent you that that article. I do. I am hoping that you make it into a meeting someday. Here, though, uh, my mother has bad nerve damage that I'd like to understand better. Also, I'm helping. I'm hoping that if I understand myself better, it will help to lessen the guilt over my behavior. Ah. Uh. She says, I'm under no delusion that I will be able to cure myself this way, but I feel like I need to start doing something. She says, blank, the small town that she lives in is a small town and I'm not ready to quote come out unquote or go to a meeting. I definitely need to stop drinking probably forever. I have no friends that are sober and I will really miss the ones that I do have. And she switched, switches to the subject of God, God. I was raised without religion, and the word God makes me very uncomfortable. I feel that there is a higher power, but I have a real issue with organized religion telling me what I should believe or do. I would say that you could get in line with most of the rest of us in Alcoholics Anonymous. Anyway, she says, AA seems to use the G word quite a bit. Anyway, thank you for your time and consideration. If you could point me uh, to further podcasts or books about alcoholism and the medical scientific side of things, I would really appreciate it. I better send this now before I lose my nerve. Kind regards, comma. Well, you know, I'm so glad that you sent that karma. And uh, I appreciate your vulnerability. And uh, as you know, I got you, like I said, that that information from uh, Eric that you can read up on. And uh, I also uh, offered to get you in touch with another uh, woman in the program, uh, if need be. Uh, for when you need that, for when you need it, and when you get there. But uh, uh, God bless you. Thank you for writing in. Thank all of you for writing in. This is another episode of Sober Speak in the books. Love you guys. Keep coming back. It works if you work it. We will most likely see you next week. See you on the other side.